0: You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests,
1: and a whole lot more.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is Jared Cannon, chef, founder, and CEO of Simply Good Jars. You can visit simplygoodjars.com to get more information. Simply Good Jars' mission is to make healthy choices easier and to foster a strong and critical connection between local growers, consumers, communities, and those in need. They envision a world where each of us can create lasting impact in our communities, on our planet, and on each other by simply rethinking how we all eat. In 2004, Jared attended the Culinary Institute of America in New York City. Upon graduation, Jared transitioned to Florida International University in Miami to continue his journey in hospitality management and finished his education at Temple University's top-rated Fox School of Business with a master's in innovation and entrepreneurship. Notably, Jared has led kitchens and teams with companies such as Iron Hill Brewery and Restaurant, the Ritz-Carlton Hotels, FS Food Group, HoneyGrow, and Philadelphia's famed TRIA. When forming Simply Good Jars, Jared took a risk leaving the traditional culinary world. However, his confidence continues in Simply Good Jars' mission to deliver healthy meals in an environmentally friendly manner. He knows by staying true to the company mission, we can all help lead the fight on combating single-use plastics and make meaningful impacts in our communities along the way. Stay tuned for this awesome episode with Jared Cannon. Jared, thanks for being here first and foremost. This is really, really cool. Finally, a pleasure to get you on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but... Yeah, no worries. No worries. And really excited to talk about, first of all, your background. Obviously, you worked for some major hospitality companies like Iron Hill Brewery and Restaurant, the Ritz-Carlton Hotels, FS Food Group, HoneyGrow, and Tria. I love Tria, as a matter of fact. Um, Great restaurant group. So... Tell us about that, about your experience going to culinary school and then your sort of maturation, your, your process of going through these different restaurant groups. What did you learn? And then tell us about that leap into Simply Good Jars.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I was cooking, um, since I was old enough to stand on a step stool basically to reach the counter. (laughs) Um, it was just something I always did at home, you know, with family and, you know, at the young age of 14 or 15, I kind of had the epiphany that this was something I wanted to pursue. And, you know, um, but, you know, me as kind of the, you know, always try to seek out the best and do the best. I kind of looked to see if, you know, the culinary world was something worth getting into, you know, a career worthy type of role. And uh, so I stumbled across the Culinary Institute of America, um, went out and did a trial week there to kind of understand what the curriculum was like, you know, how it worked. Um, And was blown away. Uh, I applied very quickly and was accepted. And, you know, that kind of started my journey in the more professional culinary space. Uh, You know, halfway through, you know, the equivalent of an internship um, got me down in Ritz-Carlton in Naples at the Vanderbilt Road Beach Resort, one of their flagship properties of the U.S., and, you know, that's where the idea of hard work was learned really, <laughs> really quickly. Um, so you fast forward and, you know, after graduation, I went and, and continued with the Ritz-Carlton because I had such a great time down in Miami and South Beach mm-hmm. for about six years, uh, you know, while going and getting my bachelor's in hotel management, uh, hotel restaurant management from FIU. So upon graduation, I was, you know, an executive chef. I had kind of, you know, I want to say hit a, a a ladder or a glass ceiling, but you know I was I was ready to move on, so I moved out, uh, went to Charlotte to FS Food Group, and that's where I kind of got into the multi-unit uh, management concept. Awesome. Uh, did that for a couple of years, came back to Philly in 2012, and that's where you know the idea of Simply Good Jars kind of started around 2012. You know. After going to school and and working like crazy and not having any time to eat healthy and seeing all the waste and seeing all the people hungry, especially coming back to Philly, walking around and, you know, just knowing I'm throwing away all this food that's probably fine to eat. Right. And then having to walk past people that, you know, would love to have any aspect of that, you know, available to them. so but at the same time it's like when you're making you know six figures and you know you're you have all the student loan obligations and you're trying to kind of survive life you know the idea of quitting that to just start up a random idea is is it took me about 5 years to commit wow
0: and so you come back to Philly and you end up going to Fox School of Business at Temple mm-hmm. I, I'm a Temple alum as well so love Temple Uh, you decide to get a master's in innovation and entrepreneurship. Was that a part of this next level, next step thinking in your, in the back of your mind, okay, you want to start this concept of simply good jars and you, are you kind of struggling with where to go next? Is that why you went back for your master's or, or was there another reason?
1: No, I mean, it was, you know, I've always naturally want to be challenged um, just generally. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was a way for me to kind of you know, see if I could build some sort of foundational knowledge around this idea of being a business owner, starting a company, whatever. I mean, before going to and enrolling in that program, I didn't know what, you know, venture capitalist was. I didn't know, you know, that you could finance a company, not, you know, off of your life savings, but, (laughs) you know, on the backs of others that believed in what you were trying to do. and, um, And then how you go about building a business model and creating a value prop and marketing that and doing, you know, every step of what it takes to build a company. Right. And, you know, I, I would say probably three quarters of the way through I really started applying the principles that I was learning to this idea, if you will, which is really all it was at the time. I had played around in at home with, you know, different recipes and things in jars, but mm-hmm. um, I had actually branded a support jars concept that, you know, I actually hired someone to do a logo design and, you know, that never took off, obviously. But um, you know, after kind of building that that foundational knowledge, I kind of started getting serious, you know, about the potential of what it might mean to launch something like this and how I would go about it. And then it took about two years to actually take the leap of faith. Um, after getting a one thousand dollar loan, wow. from Kiva, and you know that was the turning point where I said to myself, "Look, if I blow this, I try." <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. But, the, the worst thing that can happen right. is you end up going to work back in another kitchen. Right. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. And right. it's
1: not it's not that hard to get a kitchen job. Right. Um, But, you know, on the flip side, it was like, look, if this takes off and, you know, I, I've put all this thought and energy and time and, you know, whatever into this. And mm-hmm. so I did. And we haven't looked back. I mean, a month after launch, we had a waiting list of 750 people. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it. It kind of took off pretty quick. And I remember I had actually, you know, applied back to a, a different role just in case it didn't work. And I had an interview uh, the final interview scheduled. <laughs> and the day that I was supposed to have an interview, I had a piece launch in the business journal or something about Simply Good Jars. Wow. And we got flooded with inquiry. And literally, I remember being in the moment and canceling that interview and saying, I'm just going to see what happens. Wow. Said. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Wow. That was your response to the final interview. Yep. I was like, I
1: don't, you know, I don't want to waste anybody's time. That's awesome. You know, I, I have that, you know, tingly feeling. I'm going to see if this, this can work. So
0: there was something in your gut telling you that this was the the path that you really wanted to be on yeah. and social capitalism right now, for lack of a better term or cause marketing or whatever you want to call it, all of these concepts that, you know, uh, triple bottom line organizations for benefit companies, those kinds of things. Are starting to really gain some traction. Did you know right from the beginning that you wanted to, if you were going to go off on a venture on your own, that you wanted it to be sort of this triple bottom line yep. kind of organization? Absolutely. So walk us through that process of planning that when you're planning sort of three different, um, three different uh, outcomes or goals for the organization at large. What was your process in your mind?
1: I think you know the. The big level, you know, kind of guiding star, if you will, was that, look, if I'm going to start something, I want it to better something, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it wasn't so tied up on like the environment or, you know, hunger or plastic, the crazy plastic waste problem that we have these days. And it really wasn't defined. It kind of defined itself over time, Mm -hmm. but it was really just driven by, you know, how can we model this to have, um, some sort of impact beyond just, you know, the typical profit. And, you know, what I've come to kind of realize is it's really about redefining what profit means to an enterprise, to a corporation, to a, to a business. Right. And, you know, obviously we're spending money to, to feed people that are in need. Right. Right. And we could take that money and drop it straight down the profit. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, if we can do something better with, with that that money, if you will, um, it it feels like it pays dividends. And why wouldn't we want to do that?
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. So did that also help when you were building out your team initially? First of all, how long did it take you to put on a team and, and bring collaborators into your space? Or were you just doing everything yourself for a long period of time?
1: It was day to day. And I tell you, if I went back and tried to repeat it, like groundhog day. Yes. Pff, who knows what could have happened? I mean, it was so <laughs> fly by the seat of your pants. It's not even funny, but I mean, in the first year we grew from myself mm-hmm. to 18 employees, I
0: think. Wow. In one year, in
1: one year. And it was just, you know, it, you just have that realization, like I'm doing too much. I can't, I need someone to just take this off my plate. Right. But it always started, you know, I started doing everything. And then really started kind of realizing I needed to, de- to delegate aspects of this and mm-hmm. kind of wrapping a tight little bow around, you know, one circle that I could offload and then finding someone to, you know, be motivated and inspired and, you know, willing and able to handle that, you know, somewhat, um, on their own, but you know, right. obviously with guidance. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it took off and, you know, I think we added one person a month there for, you know, a four or five month stretch, just to, wow. Just to start really getting the ball rolling.
0: That's great. And I guess that that social capital social capitalism model tends to help bring people on, and maybe for a little bit less than they would take otherwise, right? Because you're providing them not only with employment, but with that internal fulfillment that they're doing some good and involving themselves in something that they're interested in
1: right unintended consequence and consequences can be good by the way um you know it it wasn't part of the grand scheme or plan or anything like that but it was interesting that and still to this day i mean we probably get five to six applications a week wow that you know kind of start with that lead in of i love what you're doing you know this is great i myself do this or am you know driven by this too. And, you know, I would love the opportunity to work with you guys. And, you know, we're at a point now where we have to be, you know, really strategic and sensitive to, you know, the people that we can bring on board. But the hope is that, you know, in the near future, we'll be able to, you know, double again, our, Mm -hmm. our bench and, and our team and with great, you know, inspired people and having an inspired team really helps to kind of drive that model and the plan forward and kind of have something that everybody can rally around and really grasp onto and, and hold on tight.
0: And another thing that I find interesting about your organization, and we'll talk about how you developed it and got into it, is that you use tech in your vending machines, right? Mm -hmm. So that there's sort of a, um, on demand sort of aspect to it. Whereas people buy things first and foremost, it makes the buying process A lot easier. They basically pop in their their card or whatever form of payment they're using. It unlocks the cooler. They open it and they can take out whatever jar they want and then they close it. And then you're getting some form of live data back to you to let you know, okay, we need to restock this machine with this product. And you're getting to see sort of what's more in demand than otherwise. Right. Yep, How did exactly. you come up with that part right. of your distribution channel and what made you go in that direction?
1: So when we launched, uh, it was direct to consumer because we had a thousand dollars. So I couldn't go out and buy a refrigerator or else right. I'd be operating capital of a dollar or something. <laughs> so. <laughs> So we started direct-to-consumer, you know, the, the vending, if you will, um, concept was always part of the, the plan and the model, but mm-hmm. we just simply didn't have the cash to execute that strategy. So we wanted to test and prove, hey, well, people would sell it out of a jar, you know, in their office. So we proved that. Second step was to go out to like Home Depot, buy one of these $500, you know, refrigerators at a glass front. It didn't lock. There was no tech. It was literally, you know, off the, the floor of Home Depot. We put a bunch of decals on it and said, hey, here's the prices. Here's the product. Here's a little bit about the mission. If if you want to give us a shot, that'd be great. You know, uh, send money, PayPal. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <And laughs> Talk about honor system. Honor, honor system. Not only is there no
0: lock, but they have to PayPal you to pay you for
1: it. Yep, wow. Yep. wow. And but what was interesting is that we only saw about 5% lift or loss. Wow. So generally people were relatively doing the right thing. Right which was actually an interesting statistic but the biggest problem in that was that people were buying i mean people were consuming regularly the product in a jar in a fridge in their office right but our issue internally operationally was that we would show up with new product and we had no clue what was stocked we didn't know if they wiped it out we don't know if they didn't touch it right we don't you know don't know if this SKU is empty or the SKU is in need
0: and these so, are essentially perishable products because oh, yeah. they're salads in a jar at this, at this phase of the company. Very
1: perishable. Yeah. So, you know, the need to have that real-time visibility into in-stock inventory, velocity, and transactional stuff was massive. So we went on the hunt uh, to really try to understand what types of technologies could assist us in doing this. Mm-hmm. And look, I'm, I'm a chef. I'm a food guy. I'm not a tech guy. I'm not going to try and build a tech team and build a new technology you know, I want to just kind of leverage what's out there, what's existing, um, that best suits our business case. So we I mean, we tried probably eight different technologies and wow. we, we have what I call the graveyard. It's a storage unit in South Philly with <laughs> about 30 different, <laughs> you know, uh, fridges or technologies that failed that wow. we just we, we call the graveyard because they just we we they came, they stayed, <laughs> they died. Yeah. And so, but we, you know, we stumbled across, um, you know, the technology that we use now Byte technologies to really drive forward, you know, everything that we need on the data analytics side to demand plan, to know what's in stock real time, you know, at, you know, fleet wide. Wow. And, you know, just that, you know, addition of a little bit of technology massively improved the economics of the business and allowed us to scale, you know, up to now about 40 locations in New York, New Jersey greater Philadelphia. Wow. And we're on our way down to DC.
0: And is all of the distribution in house or are you using sort of a third party distributor to help you get to all of those locations?
1: So right now everything's in house. Um, but you know, part of our bigger master plan is to really build and, and erect a supply chain that is built to, you know, really deliver on fresh, you know, low shelf life or low code types of items. Right. And, you know, we've basically done that to this point. So now it's about, you know, where can we go and with what? Because now all of a sudden, you know, what's what works really nice next to our salad is a nice cup of fruit. And what works next to that is, you know, all these fresh items, hummus and carrots and, you know, all of these things that, you know, then can travel kind of on the same rails, if you will, which really brings um, some interesting dynamics to how we can really curate a fresh food program.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And most of it is also around another benefit, which is your client's health, right? Because your salads are your bread and butter, pardon the pun. And you've since then moved on to breakfast products. And now, as you said, sort of snack products as well. So what are all the product lines right now that people can find from Simply Good Jars?
1: So as you, as you alluded, you know, our salad is the, the, you know, 70% of the sales, if you will. It's, it's definitely, uh, but you know, within the salad category, we have vegan, vegetarian, dairy-free keto, you know, meat, fish, like kind of a, a pretty wide selection to really help mm-hmm. align with, uh, our clients and customers, dietary needs, all of our products are under 600 calories too. And that's dressing included. So that is, you know, anytime you grab a jar, you know, that you're not, you know, consuming a, Thousand calories, which is really easy to do, believe it or not, in a yeah. salad, especially yeah. with the dressing. Right. Um, you know, a ranch could be mayonnaise and, mm-hmm. you know, sugars and whatever. Um, so anyway, so outside of salads, we have kind of our breakfast parfaits, our yogurts, our overnight oats. We have fresh cut fruit. We have uh, awesome partners that create and craft really awesome, healthy granola bars and, mm-hmm. you know, all types of products. We don't we're not really in the beverage business, per se. Um you know, a lot of the spaces that we operate in have some sort of beverage offering already. So, you know, water's free, coffee's free, you know, you can go down and get a soda if you like. Um, So, you know, our offering really kind of teeters on the, that, you know, three o'clock snack time, early breakfast, lunch. uh, And then we do happy hour every day, you know, right before it's time to leave for the day. Right. If you want to grab some, take it home to the family, to the shore, whatever. Um, you can do so a little bit cheaper.
0: Going back to a couple of things that I wanted to follow up on. One was, you know, you talked about how you started essentially on a thousand dollar loan from the get-go. How long did you go on sort of pseudo bootstrapping and relying on profits to fund the business and cash flow to fund the business to continue on versus, you know, reaching out to investors and saying, hey, we have this great product, service, and distribution method. We're working through all these things.
1: We'd love for you to invest. So that $1,000 lasted us about two and a half months. Um,
0: That's a pretty good stretch for $1,000. Yeah, it wasn't
1: bad. I mean, the the recurring revenue before, I mean, that was the strategy, right? It was like, you know, you collect a subscription upfront recurring revenue. So you had the cash to buy the product, to make the product, to send the product.
0: Right. You don't have a lot of receivables. It's kind of an influx of cash flow.
1: Right, right. So cash flow positive in that case, which helped us. Uh, we did, you know, realize, you know, after getting that 750, you know, person waiting list is like, okay, like no way we can do this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had family and friends kind of rally together. I think there was seven or so uh, that kind of got about $55,000 together to help fund kind of the 2018 early stages of the continued subscription service at the time. Nice. Nice. And then, you know, we started kind of going out into the angel community, I would say somewhere around March or June to really understand, you know, how can we raise money on this concept to say, look, we've proven that people like the product. We want to deliver it in a different way. Um, and unfortunately, we need capital to do that because there's that upfront cost mm-hmm. of, of physical assets, equipment, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and that process always takes longer than you want it to. I think we closed on the cash around Thanksgiving. Okay. Right. So it took a while. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah. But you know, 2019 was really proven that vending model and all the way through the year, 12 months of just, you know, nonstop pushing, you know, pivoting, you know, having some successful locations, having a lot of unsuccessful locations, learning a lot and, you know, really trying to better define the model for growth. Um, yeah, and going through the learning pains of, you know, losing more cash in a month than my dream salary, <laughs> type of thing. you know, which is nuts. Wow. You know, when you yeah. start kind of wrapping your head around that, it's like, man. But yeah, I mean, we're in a we're in a really cool spot for 2020, and we're excited for what's what's to come.
0: That's awesome and great segue because that was going to be my next question was about this sort of iterative process of pivoting with all the different techs that are now in your graveyard, as you pointed out, right? At what point do you, how do you make the decision between say, okay, this isn't working, let's try another one versus this isn't working, maybe we should just stop with this tech idea that we have that's really on the cutting edge with this sort of real-time consumption model Mm -hmm. and, and data model?
1: So one, you know, part of, you know, as we built the team, You know what I felt was critical was defining what I called the guiding principles of the organization. You know, establishing kind of the mission statement and all those things, which are critical to kind of align people to kind of you know do what's needed uh, within the vision of the organization. Mm -hmm. And you know, within those guiding principles, fail fast, win big is you know one of the key metrics. And you know, the idea is like, look, we can all sit around the table and think about how to brainstorm to make you know different locations perform better or different tech to do different things or you know be okay with certain shortfalls in you know um you know replacement for at least having some visibility or something and you know at the end of the day it's like look if if this isn't critically addressing a need that we have we need to call it what it is and look we could spend a lot of time and money and probably make it better but let's let's not do that let's uh kind of keep driving innovation within the way that we're doing things. Right. Uh, which naturally creates that that iterative approach to, you know, check, balance, you know, <laughs> repeat. Right. And, you know, um, fail fast when big. So It's awesome.
0: And while you're going through all of that, do you have people on your team that are starting to sort of second guess, you know, whether it's worth it to continue down this path of these vending machines that provide you with real-time data and to what extent are you constantly having to sort of re-motivate the team? Don't worry, guys. You know, we're on the right path. Trust the process. We're in Philly, so trust the process yeah, is big yeah, here. Right. <laughs> but uh how often do you have to do that and what's your process for doing that?
1: I'd say very little. I mean, there's there's definitely, you know, the culture of, you know, um, you know, I like to empower everybody on the team to to kind of have the autonomy to make their own decisions, if you will. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if something's not working, it's less about me and it's more about, you know, the team. Right. So, you know, the rally around that is, you know, how can we help each other? How can we, you know, quickly make decisions? And, you know, I've been a, a part of helping to to steer and guide that, you know, within the team, but, you know, we're at the point now where we're starting to really shift that uh, accountability, if you will, onto, the team members themselves in their respective worlds and, and really allowing them to make decisions and, and being able to demonstrate the impact Mm -hmm. good or bad and, you know, failing fast, winning big. And, you know, some of the other guiding principles innovate constantly, have fun, you know, there's just, you know, and the point of that is to like, look, if what you're doing aligns to these, you know, seven principles, or at least seven of our principles, right. Then you don't need to ask permission. Just go do it. And you know that's been you know a pretty good strategy and it, it's worked pretty well. I mean we're we're not great and we don't nail it 100 percent of the time, but you know generally you know it it works well.
0: That's awesome. Okay, let's go back to when you're starting simply good jars. And I apologize for veering back and forth, but but I want to go back to sort of your business development process. Obviously, you get on the business journal and you get an article that really helps boost sales. First and foremost, how did you go about building that connection or or getting in the door at the Philadelphia Business Journal with with you know, obviously at that point you're already off to the races so to speak, but it's still very early in the early adopter phase of this new social capital business model and quite frankly, I mean we're in 2020 now where social capitalism is a little bit more on the forefront of things. Mm-hmm. You were doing it several years ago before it was even really a popular form of doing business. There were B Corps and stuff like that, but not really to the extent that we're at now. So how did you approach the Philadelphia Business Journal and say, hey, I have this great new company and great new concept. Would you do an article for me? How did you go through that?
1: So the, the crazy part of all of this is that we've never really gone out and solicited anything to anyone. Wow. It's been inbound and it's been kind of luck of the draw. So, you know, a big part of the initial strategy was like, you know, the cool thing about food is, you know, you can buy products, you can relatively cheaply, mm-hmm. you know, you can make 12 of them or 20 of them. They can go out and just, you know, go to an event and sample for free as like a, you know, free donated food, but doesn't cost you anything You can go out, literally hand them out on the streets. You know, you can meet up with influencers and tell them, Hey, try it. If you like it, I'll get you some more. And you know, my strategy was to really kind of help saturate the awareness of the product by just being everywhere I could, giving out plenty of free product, you know, and, and that's what helped, you know, being in places where, you know, Philadelphia Business Journal, I was at an event, I think that was like a, um, a startup competition for, you know, innovative young companies. And we were, we had a table set up, we were giving out samples and, you know, probably 100 people walked by and well. Wow. You know, hey, tell me about your company, blah, blah, blah. One of them happened to be, you know, the writer that wrote the story. Wow. So and it's all about
0: just adding value to the community on yeah. a constant basis, which is kind of your core, yep. core concept and, and thought process. That's really interesting. Okay. Another question that we frequently hear from people who listen to the show is they want to know how the the various entrepreneurs that we have on the show, like yourself that have had a lot of success how you deal with rapid growth and and sort of you you talked about hiring 18 people in your first year that's usually pretty crazy for most companies and and i'm sure caused you some significant growing pains it's always great on the on the tail end now that you've been successful but going through the process must must have been difficult so how did you find those people how did you deal with rapid growth when your demand you know you were sold out like you said you had a waiting list after your first month essentially. Yep. So how did you react to that and go and put the pieces in place to maintain your success going forward?
1: So we have always and to this day really drive forward with quality and flavor as some of the principles of the product. So we never ever compromised even though we had people that wanted it. We would never allow product out that couldn't be you know done in the right way. And to this day is is kind of still holds true. So mm-hmm you know the the day to day you know as i alluded earlier about just you know business growth and you know it's the way that i look at it is you take it day by day and my strategy has always been to never move on to something until i finish the thing prior and you know i never found myself with you know 20 scattered things at you know 25% completion with more things coming in being so overwhelmed that And it's just, you know, it's prioritizing and one at a time. And, you know, as things roll in, you can reshuffle your deck Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, reprioritize as needed. And if things fall off, they fall off. And that's really what every single day has been for the past two and a half years. Wow. Uh, is just, you know, day by day tackling what's in front of you one at a time, finishing, moving on, finishing, moving on, reshuffling the deck, reprioritizing Awesome.
0: That's amazing. And then, you know, obviously you're bringing in those extra people and now you're able to sort of, as you said earlier in the episode, delegate yep. some of those important tasks or priorities to them, give them the the football, so to speak, and say, hey, run with this, come back to me only if you really need some direction. Yeah, I but, trust you.
1: But at the same time, you know, part of that process mm-hmm. is tough, right? Like in the beginning, you're involved in every single discussion, every single decision almost, right? Um, and then that that involvement starts to separate. The the bigger the team gets, and you know I'm at the inflection point now where you know the the team rallies around me and ideas, and you know wants to run things by us, and you know. But a lot of the times I'll get the you know is it blue or is it red, <laughs> right? But 22 people asking me if you know what what do you prefer um, starts you know on top of everything else starts to become you know really overwhelming. So right. Right. You know, having, you know, part of the growing pains is really that transitional culture of, you know, empowering and re-empowering and, you know, continuing to drive the team to um, be be okay with making their own decisions, but also holding accountability to, you know, decisions that work well and celebrating them and decisions that don't work so well and, and really trying to understand how to to rewrite the ship, if you
0: will. Right. And as a professional chef, I would imagine that there's at least a little bit of perfectionism just internally, automatically, that's a part of your process, right? Especially looking at the restaurants that you've worked for, the groups that you've worked for, high, high, high standards of quality and uh, customer service and delivery of product to the client, right? So you being that way, how do you um, temper yourself when somebody else on your team makes a mistake that or does something differently than you would have done it. How do you deal with that and just allow it to
1: go with the flow? So I learned a long time ago that you know reacting emotionally <laughs> to things <laughs> can have negative impacts so um you know when there's something done that you know is um you know frustrating or concerning or whatever, I always tried to really give myself about twelve to sixteen hours to really you know attack that instance and to kind of approach it you know non-emotional, you know, with logic. Um, and I learned that in my culinary career, you know, cause you know, the, one of the parallels, right. Is controlled chaos, right. You know, you, you work in a kitchen and there's just like things flying all <laughs> over the place, like 400 degree surfaces, this, you know, oil slashing all over the place. I mean, I got burns and cuts up and down my right, arms. Of course. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, you know, the saying is balls to the walls and like, you know, let's get through this head down. And, but the parallel with, you know, starting a company is very similar. I mean, there's just chaos everywhere. And if you let it consume you, it can be really daunting and overwhelming. And, you know, it's really about how you, you know, maintain a calm demeanor, Mm -hmm. um, you know, move forward with logic and, and really assess situations and not react emotionally. And that's all part of, you know, in every single employee offer letter, you know, it's, you know, we'll act calm through, you know, times of high stress. And, you know, uh, it's just, you know, we have to embed that into the team as well, because, you know, as a leader, when things are astray and you're running around with your head cut off, the rest of your team's going to be running around with their head cut off. No,
0: that's a great point. I mean, if the chicken loses its head the rest of the body's just running crazy, right? It's not like everything else can function. Yeah. So the
1: composure aspect, you know, especially leading a team is critical uh, to ensure that, you know, even in those highest stress moments and everybody else is waiting to see how you're going to react, having the ability to compose and, Mm -hmm. you know, process and, you know, uh, turn around with a logical solution And, you know, an action plan is something to work against and, you know, having the team go out, do that, fight it and win way better than, (laughs) you know, just like screaming, throwing things and, you know, firing somebody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to get you anywhere. (laughs) Right. And it's not going to build loyalty in your team if you're chaotic to your to your point. There's already enough chaos externally going on. So if you're chaotic, they're just going to be like, I'm not going to keep following this person around. Right. Um, going back to your early days where you were having all of these sort of uh, quality control issues and uh, quality assurance issues with the machines that you were using, the cooler, the refrigerators that you were using, et cetera. How were you maintaining the trust with your clients and your distribution channel to continually let you iterate and make it right?
1: So we've always been, I mean, it literally the physical jar is so see-through. You can see every flaw that would potentially be in there. Right? right, right. And we've modeled a culture of transparency in everything that we do as well. So, you know, when quality concerns come up and, you know, what's what's funny is that we're we've been so consistent with the product in market that one little change, people notice it. Right. And they'll write in and they'll, you know, they're loyal and they love it. And they'll write in and be like, what's different? Like, you know, wow. And, but it's all about how you, you know, tell that story and and respond to the customer. And we're very transparent. And, and, you know, part of the initial quality issues was really around, you know, our ability to grow and scale so quickly that we were held to higher regulatory standards, you know, in the production distribution of food that all of a sudden, you know, the small farm that makes the amazing cheese that took us three months to find, no longer qualifies as a supplier. Wow. And we needed to quickly identify uh, a substitute that was okay, you know, not crap, wow, but you know, not the same quality and then really, you know, build a team physically to go out and do product development to find source the materials and go through all the regulatory process which from a paperwork perspective can take a month or two. Wow. So, you know, there is a period of time there where you know, we would still stand by the product as everything that we promise it to be, but none of us were happy with the quality that kind of came down a little bit during Mm -hmm. that transition. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the constant focus and, you know, I send out a weekly message to the entire team and we kind of talk about recaps of the week, forward-looking things, you know, takeaways, whatever. And, you know, for that period, it was really just driving the culture of we are the last line of defense, quality, quality, quality. You know, we need to always make sure that this is a driving principle of of what we do every day. And you know, we got through it.
0: Amazing. amazing yeah. message. And that focus on quality and and I think your constant iteration of your constant communication with your team, on here's what's going on rather than just shutting yourself in the CEO's office, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, and being on the front lines with them does build that confidence. Do you find that to be true within simply good jars?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely do it all the time.
0: Cool. So to what extent do you, or how much energy do you spend comparing yourself or your business ventures to your competitors? Very little. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well you guys are, are very much in a niche so you don't really have that um, issue of having to worry so much about competition right how much direct competition would you say you have to begin with
1: so I mean there are people doing similar things mm-hmm. um, you know looking at the channel of uh, you know there's, there's actually I think someone coined the term it might have been Forbes or something direct to consumer in office and you know, it is somewhat of an untapped channel and it's starting to gain momentum and, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's also people making products, stuffing them in jars and and sure. putting them in environments that are more accessible, you know, more affordable or whatever the case. Uh, but, you know, for us, it's like, you know, we're forward thinking, we're innovative, you know, we are, we do lead with product, we do lead with flavor. Um, we've tried every product and market from a competitor. To this day, we've had zero issues or concerns with anybody even close to the level of quality and flavor that we put into our products. Nice. And at the end of the day, flavor's king, right? The consumer is going to pick and choose and be loyal to the product they enjoy the most. And by the way, we're like basically the same price. So, you know, that answer might change in the future or as, you know, more incumbents come into the space and, and whatever, but, you know, right now, it's, it's a very little concern of ours. Um, and we want to remain focused on what our mission is, you know, to to make healthier, tasty food more accessible, you know, while being sustainable and, and impactful. Right. You know, empowering our customers to better their own communities through making better choices, returning the jar, not wasting helping feed those in need. And, you know, we just we stay true to that mission, that drive and, you know, quality, quality, quality um, and forward.
0: So you're in kind of an archaic, for lack of a better term, or, or let's call it a conservative industry that is food. Obviously, it's been around forever. And there are certain inherent things that are just a part of food businesses, consumer packaged goods, food businesses all have sort of similarities right throughout the process. Do you consider yourself a disruptor, first of all? And then second of all, when you're dealing with stakeholders in general, whether they be investors or people in the community or just other collaborators in the food world, to what extent do you get the message of, hey, stop trying to disrupt and just do things this way rather than always trying to innovate, right? Um, And what's your response to that? How
1: do you deal with that? So I think from day one, it was more about providing a product service and an option that was missing in the market. Mm-hmm. You can call it disruptive. You can call it whatever you want, but that's kind of been the way we've thought about it and trying to make what we do better, you know, than we did last month or, or yesterday. So, you know, maybe it's disruptive, maybe it's not, I don't really you know, have an answer to that, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're looking to transform the way people look at a prepackaged salad and you know, approach it with some sort of expectation that's better than this is going to suck. (laughs) right? (laughs) Because that's just, you know, you you grab a a packet. If you're grabbing a a prepackaged salad, you know, you're just so far behind or missing the mark or something where you're just you're hangry. You need something. You don't want to, you know, sacrifice on, you know, uh, calories or you don't want to sacrifice on price or whatever the case is. And, you know, with us, there's no sacrifices. I mean, you know, it's, it's an affordable, accessible product that tastes good. It's there, it's portable, it's transparent. You know, we, we, we try to, you know, take all of those, uh, you know, compromises that people would typically make when buying something quick, fast and easy Mm -hmm. and really providing a product within that same mindset that exceeds expectations every time. And what's interesting is that, you know, anytime someone tries a product for the first time, they're like wow, I can't, like, I had, I did not think it would be this good. And I'm totally buying this now. It's awesome. So, you know, there is a little hurdle to get somebody to try something new and unique for the first time. But, you know, again, it really just goes back to quality, flavor, standards, and, and, and vision and mission and executing on that.
0: Awesome. What can we expect from Simply Good Jars in 2020 and beyond?
1: So there's a lot happening. Um, you know, we're continuing a lot of uh, um, really strategic partnerships in in the fridge model. Um, so we, we are, we're doing pilots and extending pilots with a lot of you know everything from the food giants to you know hotel companies and and kind of different types of business and and corporate food service entities and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that will continue. Um, One of the biggest things I think you'll start to see is uh, Simply Good jars separate um, itself from the fridge. And you'll see through very strategic, very targeted few partnerships, a uh, saturation in market with a retail on the shelf uh, prepackaged salad that, you know, is, you know, we think is going to make an impact beyond, you know, what we've been able to do today. And we're only doing this with retailers that we know will uphold the mission of the returnability, reusability, built in that reverse logistics infrastructure into their own or our distribution model so that we can continue to adopt the principles we were founded on. Um, and, you know, we're doing that in probably about six states in the next 30 days. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not uh,
0: surprised at your ambition at this point, but that's (laughs) awesome. I'm pretty sure you can execute if you're, if you're heading down that path at this point, I think you're, you're going to be successful.
1: Well, part of, you know, the most recent fundraise, uh, which was close to a couple million bucks, we were able to really stir up production to make about 2000 jars an hour. Wow. Uh, And with that capacity and with the distribution we've been able to erect, you know, we can service about a 500 mile radius of Philadelphia. Wow! Next day, that's incredible. So now, all of a sudden, our world isn't you know fifty miles; it's five hundred miles. Right. And um, you know, with the partners that we have, you know, in current markets and, and expanding markets, and and with uh, this kind of secondary strategy, uh, we're going to be able to, we feel, build the brand equity and loyalty to really identify Simply Good Jars as a quality product and that we will not ever, you know, falter on flavor, function, taste, and, you know, really build that dependability in the market. And then, you know, we still have the fridge option, right? So you know, as that brand equity builds in markets and whatnot, um, you know, we can bring it right to you in the office, in the building, at the hospital know, at the school, at the airport, whatever the case is. Right. And, and continue that strategy. And by no means is, has it been abandoned? And if anything, we're going to strengthen that value prop by building the brand in the market. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Really awesome. What's a hustle story from early on in your entrepreneurial journey that was either crazy or something funny happened while you were trying to get simply good jars off the ground?
1: Oh, man! There's so many different things <laughs> um, well, I mean, call it a hustle story or call it you know something that you know listeners might be able to kind of vibe and feel with. But you know, after that first you know capital raise and you know mm-hmm. Thanksgiving of two thousand and eighteen, I had a son Wow on congrats New Year's Eve. Wow. So you can imagine, you know, being a new, a new first time father, um, you know, getting married and 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 having the whole lifestyle evolve outside of this ever evolving business on the day to day, you know, really was, you know, just kind of a let's see what happens. Right? <laughs> and again, you know, and, and I keep going back, you know, it was it was literally day by day. And if I went back Groundhog Day style and thought that I could replicate what had transpired in those times. One, I don't even remember Two, you know, good luck. Right. It's yeah, like, of course yeah, it's it. And I'm lucky enough to have such an amazing team that was able to execute, you know, uh, what we, what we needed to get done. And, you know, if, if I ever sat here today, tomorrow, you know, years from now, and you know, you would never hear out of my mouth that, you know, I built this, you know, our team built this. And, um, you know, I can inspire and I can lead and I can, I can, you know, push a vision out there and, mm-hmm. um, I can realign and adjust and, and check in, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, without them, we're nothing. So. Right. Just
0: two last questions. One, it's clear. And, and thank you for bringing that up again, that you have really no ego in this. That simply good jars is more about the collaboration, the overall good that it provides on various levels and sort of your triple bottom line strategy to the business to begin with. Right. To what extent do you think that that has been your collaborative nature, your lack of ego has been a accelerator in your success and in the success of Simply Good Jars?
1: I mean, I don't know if it was, I like to think that it is. I mean, I've always taken the approach that I should be the dumbest person in the room. Right. And And if I've achieved that, then, you know, I'm good in this room, (laughs) but (laughs) otherwise I need to find another room, right? It needs to get, be bigger, smaller or whatever. But um, you know, true collaboration. I mean, how can you um, not get on the train with the idea that, you know, two heads are better than one and that, um, you know, the best idea in the world might be a little bit better improved by the addition of this or the subtraction of that. And you know, there's no way to really truly do that on your own um, or be successful or, or create the amount of luck you need in business. Right. To be able to to realize that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, collaboration has always been a, a principle of mine, even in the kitchen culinary world and, you know, former life, if you will, um, to really, you know, create the most impact in the, the shortest amount of time.
0: How have you dealt with having a son that's a year and three months old, roughly mm-hmm. right now? How yep. have you dealt with that pressure on a constant basis internally? How are you maintaining your mental health on a regular basis with all of these sort of uh, peaks and valleys that are inherent with an entrepreneurial lifestyle? Sure.
1: Well, I mean, it's all about balance, right? Um, the one thing that I lost that I'm, I'm striving to get back soon is, you know, the, the, the routine of, of working out and health, yep. and, health and wellness. Uh, that definitely was the number one suffering casualty of, of that sure. you know, addition into the life. But, I mean, as a, as a father and, you know, something I, I didn't think would come out of my mouth while building a business, but um, it's been so empowering and just naturally motivating. I mean, it you know, you have that moment where he's like, well, this has got to work. Right. You have no choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, this has got to work. So... um, let's make it work. You basically
0: storm the beaches and burn the ships at that point. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like,
1: you know, talk about ego. Like if you try and, you know, make something work that has to work with a little bit of ego in the room, it's, it's going to be a a tough road. So, um, you know, having Noah, you know, come into our lives has been the biggest blessing and, and the best thing ever. And, um, you know, he's learning and developing every day. And it's, it's been amazing to watch and see and follow that path. And, um, I would never take back, you know, anything that we went through or, you know, the good and the bad and the ugly. Sure. Um, so, I mean, very content, very happy, you know, life is balanced and, you know, again, it's all about prior prioritizing what's in front of you and, and no matter what, what it is. Awesome.
0: Well, Jared, thank you so much, man. This was great. A lot of great information for the listeners and really just appreciate your time. We'll keep an eye out on Simply Good Jars. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you or to subscribe to Simply Good Jars?
1: So simplygoodjars.com, our website kind of talks through everything that we do. You can find ways to subscribe to our newsletter, contact us directly, request a fridge, you know, any, anything that, you know, is what we do. Um, You know, look for us, you know, in New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and, you know, as we continue to flood into the markets, uh, give us a try. Cool. Uh, Write us, let us know what you think. And And uh, at Simply
0: Good Jars on Instagram.
1: Yep. At Simply Good Jars across all social channels, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Awesome. Yep.
0: Great. Jared, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was great.
1: Thanks, guys.